0: Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Krita, your host. Thank you for tuning in. It's our pleasure to have you with us uh, today. And you know, you can be part of this program by sending us a text message or maybe write an email with a question or a thought which you may have in regard to this program. We'll love to hear from you and uh, we'll be willing to answer some of your questions as you would like to share with us. Today we have a very interesting uh, topic to talk about the New Testament, hope. It's wonderful to talk about hope in these days of trouble and uh, hardship. I would like to welcome our panel for today and uh, I will say hello to Denise. It's good to have you with us.
1: Lovely to be here. Thank you, Nick.
0: Brenton, thank you for joining. Thank you, Nick. It's um, always a privilege to share God's word. Len, it's good to have you with us too. Thank you, Nick. And hello, listeners. Ligia, it's good to have you part of this.
2: Mm, thank you so much. I feel very delighted.
0: Will, is good to have you part of the discussion today. Thank you, Nick. It's uh, when talking about hope, I'm in. Wonderful. Jerry, it's good to have you with us today. Thank you for joining the program.
3: Yes, thank you, Nick. It's, uh, yes, wonderful to be here again.
0: I would like to mention that, um, you know, we really appreciate your uh, work you put into this uh, Bible study because you are going to facilitate this discussion uh, today mm-hmm. and it will be wonderful to learn about uh, the blessed hope. Would you like to take us through?
3: Yes, thank you, Nick. Um, yes, yeah, the New Testament hope, beautiful. Beautiful subject. And um, we've got some very interesting verses to cover. And uh, I'd like to start by asking Brenton if you could please read a, a verse from First John, chapter 5. In fact, two verses, verse 11 and 12, and comment, please. Certainly.
4: The texts read this way, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Jerry, it's pretty uh, clear here that eternal life, as we understand it, as Christians understand it, and as those who may come to accept Jesus will understand it, eternal life is not some sort of commodity. Eternal life is accepting a person. In this case, it's uh, Jesus Christ. And God has given us evidence of that by sending his son, and his son is the one through whom eternal life is obtained. I was thinking at the same time of the text in Acts. The Philippian jailer asked a question in Acts 16, verse 31. He said, what must I do to be saved? Mm -hmm. The answer was, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your house. Um The word believe suggests more than just an intellectual assent saying, yes, I accept Jesus as my saviour. Yes, I agree that he probably was uh, died on the cross for my sins. It goes deeper than that. In the book of Revelation, it tells us that we should actually have a relationship with him. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, uh, I will come in and dine with him. And he with me, it, it indicates that when you accept Jesus, you enter into a most inter, intimate relationship. And that's uh, the start of
3: eternal life. Yeah, that's interesting that you uh, put it that way. You know, this verse, this verse in particular, is a bit of a loaded statement in a way because we're living yes. in a time of, of political correctness, don't we? Where everything yes, very is very much. So. Mm-hmm. You hear that word, inclusive. Um, Whatever people want to believe, uh, that should be respected, and that's that's fine. But uh, when you look at this particular verse, it would appear to say, in fact it does say, that eternal life is only found in Jesus Christ. Now, we live in a world with uh, other major religions that have their own ideas about Mm, eternal life. Should we be able to uh, say that eternal life exclusively, is only found in in Jesus Christ. I believe so, yes. <laughs> so how do we go about um, sharing this concept with those of other religions? It's a tricky one, isn't it? Because you, you want to be respectful of other persons' beliefs. We think of the Muslim faith, we think of the, uh, the Hindu faith, we think of the Buddhist faith, and the people have all kinds of ideas about eternal life. And yet here, it's it's quite explicit, isn't it? Mm. Mm. Eternal life is found only in Jesus Christ.
4: Yeah, can I suggest there is a difference between the religions that you've mentioned and Christianity? One is that we serve a living saviour. They serve or adhere to principles put together by people who are now
3: deceased. Correct. And in fact, uh, I might um, take this opportunity to remind the listeners of last week's study uh, which talked about Christ's victory over death, and um, if uh, people miss that, they can still go back into the archives. Is that that right, Nick? And and check up on that. Sure. Because th- these lessons that we study are very closely linked, aren't they? And um, it's good to to see the overall picture. Well, in his letter to Titus, whom the apostle Paul calls a true son in our common faith, he says that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And again in chapter 3, verse 7, he says that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, generations of Christians have lived and died in this blessed hope, the hope of eternal life in a perfect world and in the presence of their Saviour and the redeemed of all ages. The question that I'd like to ask is, is such hope the product of wishful thinking, as so many people often would suggest to you, or does it have substance? What is the evidence to support it, and how can we be confident that it's true? Today's lesson is based on the certainty of the resurrection that Christ instilled in the hearts and minds of those he ministered to. But first, we need to pray. Lynn, could you lead us in prayer, please? Yes.
5: Dear Father in heaven, we'd like to thank you for the opportunity to open your word and share it with those who care to listen. Yes. We pray for your guidance as we disseminate and share what the Bible has to say. And today we're talking about hope, hope of eternal life. Yes. Or should I say the reassurance of eternal life? Mm. We thank you've made provision for your people in the future. Yes, and as a panel, we look forward to the time when Jesus will come again and we can, uh, we will be changed at that time to spend eternity in your presence. What a gift. We pray, Lord, today that the Holy Spirit also might impress the minds of our listeners to also have that hope, that reassurance. These things we pray in the name of Jesus, our Saviour. Amen.
3: Amen. Thank you, Len. Now, Denise, uh, for Christ and the apostles, the Christian hope... The hope of the resurrection to eternal life was like a central pillar supporting the structure of faith. It wasn't a new hope, but rather the unfolding of the ancient hope already nurtured by the patriarchs and prophets. This hope sustained millions of believers since ancient times. Can you um, give some thoughts on that? Uh, if I'm th- thinking of um, Hebrews 11 is, is an interesting chapter, but you may have uh, had a uh, a passage that you wanted to share with us or some thoughts.
1: Yes, Jerry, I'd like to look at John chapter eight and verse 56 where it says, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. That is the, uh, second coming of Jesus and the resurrection. He saw it and was glad. So, um, he had the assurance of the resurrection along with the second coming of Jesus. And that was clearly um, a blessed hope for Abraham, and it's something that we can also uh, hope for in the future.
3: Mm. Yeah, I I mentioned uh, Hebrews 11. I love that chapter because it starts with an intriguing verse. In verse 1, if I can just quote it from the New King James Bible, it says here, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's a wonderful verse, substance, it's real. And, you know, we talk about hope. Len, you mentioned reassurance of the resurrection. I think that's a nice way of putting it because hope in the way it's generally used is uh, something that you're not 100% sure of. You hope it might be so, but you're not exactly uh, convinced or maybe sure that it's going to happen. And I know this is a totally different thing, but... uh, Recently, they had, uh, what was it, Powerball or something, where they had $150 million up for, for, for grabs. And I heard them say on the, on the news that um, half of the adult population in Australia bought a lottery ticket <laughs> in the hope that they would win it. Um, but, but our hope is not like that at all. Our hope is, has substance. We know and believe that um, we can have that assurance that the resurrection is there as a fact. Jerry, um,
6: um may I comment that uh, yeah. with lotteries and writing exams and so on, there's always the chance of a future strike or a future happiness or a future yeah. hope. It's not yeah. so with the resurrection. Mm. You've only got one shot at it. There's not a rewrite of judgment or of opportunity uh, in March or April. It's... um it's the assurance, as Lena said, now that we have, uh, the hope of eternal life in Jesus. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, um, it's pretty direct, but that's the way the Bible deals with this, this promise.
3: Yeah. yeah.
0: Can I just yeah. add to that, uh, uh, Jerry and panel? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking about here yeah, the resurrection in our Lord Jesus Christ and faith and belief in this. And then we look at uh, comparing even with uh, how people have some sort of faith that they may win a lottery. Mm -hmm. Now, the only difference is that Mm -hmm. believing in Jesus and in the resurrection of of the saved is uh, quite a bit of difference because it's life and death. You see, if you don't uh, win the lottery, that's okay. You can move on, you know, you continue with your life. But if you uh, gamble your eternal life, mm-hmm. I think that's a big difference.
3: That's yeah, very true, Nick.
1: With with a lottery, usually there's only um, an individual who wins or a, a group, a, a small group. But with um, the resurrection and the second coming, all of us are invited to be part of this. So yeah. it's for everyone.
3: Yes. Yeah. Again, I want to just go quickly to uh, Hebrews. Chapter Eleven. I find it um very encouraging for us living in this time of this history that we can uh, we can and see how they hoped for a better life. but their hope wasn't a, a vain hope they they had a firm belief that one day they would um be in the place where they really should be and wanted to be uh, I'm talking of people like Abel and Enoch and Noah, and Abraham, and Sarah, and all these people that are mentioned. And in verse 13 of Hebrews, it says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims. So they were looking forward to a heavenly country, it says in verse 16. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country, so that's, that's the, the beautiful hope that they had and lived with and died with, and so too can we. Yes, Brenton. I think uh, an important point here, and some of us have
4: touched on it already, but this faith that you were reading about in Hebrews 11 that these patriarchs had, mm. at the end of their lives, every single one of them died what I would describe as a triumphant death. They didn't die a death that had no hope attached to it. Mm. They didn't die in a hopeless state. They all Mm. died in the full assurance that they would be resurrected. Now, when we share the gospel with people today in 2022, we need to be able to share it with them in a way because we believe it ourselves, personally, that Mm. we will see Jesus face to face, whether we're laid asleep or whether we're awake when he returns. Either way, we have the confidence that we will see him again. That's the confidence that I believe is necessary to be able to share
3: hope with a world that is in a fairly hopeless state at the moment. Absolutely. I had a friend uh, a couple of years ago who, who passed away, an older man, and um, I spoke to him shortly before he passed and he said, I want to be buried in my pyjamas because <laughs> I know that I'm only going to sleep. I know that when Jesus comes, He'll wake me up. He had that absolute conviction. And I thought that Thanks. was a fantastic testimony, yeah. which I brought out, by the way, um, um on the day of his funeral to those who came. Yes, yes, Nick.
0: We mentioned uh Abraham, and I just would like to draw this uh point here. You know, the three monotheistic religions, mm. they all uh, look up to Abraham. Mm. But it's interesting. That some of those, for example, let's say uh, uh, even Judaism, not accepting Jesus as uh, our Savior and Redeemer, or even Islam. It's good enough to say that, yeah, we believe in one God, but do you accept what God is teaching you and what Jesus was uh, confirming in his time on this earth? Because you know, we can easily say we have the father, as uh, the father Abraham. But are you following what Abraham' faith was, or you, or you are just a descendant, or just proud of being <laughs> descendant of Abraham? I think this is the the point that we need to have a relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ and understand. His teachings.
3: Yes, a uh, good point, Nick. Um, now we've mentioned already a number of people uh, from Hebrews eleven. Um, Len, can you give us two more examples from the Bible of those who believed in the hope of the resurrection?
5: Yes, well, we go back almost to creation, and the uh, the patriarch Enoch is mentioned. Mm-hmm. And In Jude, book of Jude, the second last book of the Bible, it says Enoch, the seventh from Adam prophesied about these men. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and convict all the holy, unholy, uh, ungodly, sorry, of all the ungodly acts they have done. And so on. It's talking about Christ coming in judgment. Now, I want to point out something here. There are plenty of people who believe that when they die, their conscious entity goes to heaven. Now, in some versions of the Bible, it says this. Now, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints which makes it sound as if the righteous dead have already gone to heaven. But I'm reading from the NIV and it says of his holy ones. And there's a note in my study Bible that says referring to angels. Now, it seems out of place. If the people who we read about in Hebrews 11 Who've gone through all sorts of persecution for their faith. Who, uh, and this is, is what it says about them. And you read this before. Now I want to read it again. It's the last part of chapter 11. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. Namely eternal life. God had planned something better for us. So that only together with us, they would be made perfect. All right. So these people, these saints in past times who suffered for their faith, they're still waiting. And I refer back also to the book of Acts, chapter two and verse 34, for it says, David did not ascend to heaven. So, This hope that we have is a genuine hope. It's not as if we, when people die, they've already gone to heaven. The Bible is pointing out with regard to Abraham, with regard to Enoch, with regard to these saints mentioned in Hebrews 11, that they are still waiting. They're still waiting to be made perfect, as it says, to be changed. To become immortal So there are at least three cases One's in Hebrews 11 Enoch mentioned in the book of Jude And David mentioned in the book of Acts Who are waiting for the time when Jesus will come And we or we along
3: with them Will be given eternal life Yes, thank you, Lynn Now, we've already, we started the uh, study, uh, quoting 1st John chapter 5 verse 11 and 12. I'd like to go back to that verse again. Lydia, what is required for a person to be resurrected to eternal life? I asked the question again because people from all civilizations have been wrestling with this question since the beginning of time. And I'd like to ask, what role does faith play? And if it does, faith in who?
2: As we read first John chapter five, eleven and twelve, it says that, and this is the testimony God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life, so it means if you have Christ in your heart, in your mind, you have eternal life john three sixteen the key verse. Mm-hmm. For God so loved the world that he gave his only his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So the key text here is whoever believes in him. If you mm-hmm. don't believe in Jesus, you cannot have faith that you can have eternal life. And so uh, this has
3: major implications for the immortality of the soul, as uh, some people would believe. In fact, the uh, latter part of the verse that you first quoted from First John says, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life.
5: Yes. Well, there's another issue that uh, needs to be dealt with here too, and that's the issue of what's called particular redemption.
2: Mm-hmm
5: which um, most people would understand as being predestination put simply the predestination view is that god chooses particular people we don't know if he has a lottery system or what according to this belief and he says you you and you you're you're okay you're going to be saved but the rest of you well no but the text that uh, Lydia read and quoted, John three sixteen, and there are plenty of others to support that. That whosoever will, if we accept Jesus and um, forgiveness through Him, salvation through Him, the assurance is given that we have, which knocks on the head this idea of particular redemption that God has some sort of a system. Where he picks out certain individuals and the rest go jump. Mm-hmm. So, if people really believe that, then what hope does anyone who's not in God's special list have? None. It's it's a it's a
3: contradiction.
0: Mm-hmm. And I believe it's an error. Yeah. Thanks, Len.
3: Uh, Nikki. I just something? want to
0: ask um, a question in regard to to that passage, whoever has, Jesus has life. Is that kind of, uh, uh, we can bank Jesus somewhere there, put it into a superannuation and thinking, okay, we have Jesus there. Is that sort of thing which we thinking of that? Or we need to have Jesus in our life every day? Because that could be a difference uh, for those people who may think in predestination, thinking, okay, yes, You know, we've been predestined, I just need to believe in Jesus and I will have eternal life. I think that passage speaks much more than that. It it talks about a permanent relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ.
3: Which in turn really um, determines how you live your life as well. Mm -hmm. Um, It does. You can't simply say, I believe in Jesus Christ, therefore I have eternal life even though uh, you, you, you know you have to be careful how you study the scripture don't you because if, if you're lazy you, you'll just pick one verse and it would appear to say that's all you have to do is believe in jesus christ and therefore you will have eternal life but um i think if we go back to how, how jesus unpacks that especially in, in uh, chapter three when he talks to nicodemus he makes it quite clear what's involved um uh, brenton i you wanted to say something.
4: Oh, just in relationship to what Lydia read again, the thought occurred to me um, along these lines. People today who do not follow Jesus and uh, do not have their hope of eternal life, they're living life. Yeah. I don't know that the life that it's referring to here is that life. When mm-hmm. it says he who has the Son has life, yeah. I believe it's referring to eternal life. It's referring to the fact that if you have accepted Jesus fully and surrendered to him, you have eternal life now. Mm -hmm. You and I all know and the panel members know we've all been to funerals of people who do not have this hope. Some of them are the most hopeless funerals you've ever been to because they don't offer those who come to mourn or pay their respects. Mm -hmm. They don't don't offer them anything for the future. That's it. The door's shut. The curtain's pulled down. That's it. So the life that John is referring to here, I believe, is eternal life and also the fact that a person who accepts Jesus does not come under what we call the second death, and I think
3: that's pretty important. Hmm. I'd like to pick up on what you said, Brenton, because often you hear the expression these days, to live your best life. Yes, absolutely. Now, we can have a good life here if you have good health. If you have good health, if you have a loving relationship with your family and people that you know, um, there are many good things that you can have in this life, but is this your best life? Really? Mm. As a Christian, we have an even better life, an eternal life, and it makes this, and it makes every good thing that we have here pale into insignificance. There's a beautiful song. We have
5: this hope. Now, if your pronunciation's not that good, and I've heard it sung this way, we have this soap, right? Now, I think both applies, because in Christ we have this hope. I like to call it reassurance. But also in Christ we have the soap, if you like, that cleanses from our unrighteousness. So that's just a little aside remark. But I think it was relevant to this discussion today.
0: And and Jerry, I just want to add what you said a bit earlier in regard to good life. We mentioned Abraham. If Abraham would have been interested in just in good life, he would have stayed in his country rather than to follow the invitation of God uh, to come and follow him. Because I believe he would have had better life in his country. From In those terms. Hmm. But that's the invitation for us today. My dear friend, even listening today, you may uh, go through some difficult times. You may have s- hardship. Uh, you may follow God. You may give your life to God and asking yourself, why these things are going wrong in my life? Hmm. You know, we are here only for a short time, preparing for true life, preparing for what God has in plan for us everlasting life hold on god is with us
3: indeed i'd like to ask denise uh, if she could read if you could read uh, first corinthians chapter 15 verses 12 to 19 paul makes an essential link between christ's resurrection and the resurrection of those who believe in him could you please read these verses
1: sure okay first corinthians chapter 15 verses 12 to 19
3: very strong argument yeah. and uh, you look at all the emphasis he puts on that he, he really wants to hammer it home doesn't he that uh, he does you know this is for for real people this is for real and you can be absolutely certain of it
1: paul is very explicit here our resurrection is inseparably tied to christ's resurrection if we don't rise then it means that christ has not risen and if christ has not risen then what? Our faith is futile, you are still in your sins. So in other words, when we die, we stay dead and forever, and thus all of our faith is meaningless.
3: Mm. Okay, so Jesus gave a very specific promise to his disciples in the closing days of his public ministry. Now we find it in, in John chapter 14, verses 1 to 3. Brenton, could you read those for us, please?
4: Yes, certainly. Let me share it with you. promises of God's word, Mm. but I want to refer just firstly to the first part of verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. Mm. Why would their heart be troubled? Contextually, Christ has told them three things so far. He's told them that uh, one of you was going to betray me. He's told them that I'm going away and I'll be away from you. And the third thing he said is to Peter, is when Peter said, Lord, I don't know where you're going, but I'll lay down my life for you. He said, Peter, before the day is before the evening is over, you will deny me three times. Mm. So really this is being said to reassure the disciples that despite the previous statements he's made, here he's actually telling them, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I think the qualifying comment in John fourteen one to three is he did not state when he would return Mm -hmm. he simply stated that he was going away but the term mansion some uh, modern translations of the bible use other words for this um the greek actually is fairly interesting because the greek actually is a a place of abiding Mm -hmm. it's not a temporary abode it's a permanent abode it's not like going to a motel where you spend a night or two and then you move on to the next motel Mm -hmm. Um, When he says, I've gone to prepare a place for you, and in my father's house there are many mansions, these are permanent abiding places. He's giving the disciples, I believe, a sense of security, that even though they have no idea what's ahead of them in the next 24 hours, he has promised them he's gone to prepare a place for them. And you know what? That promise is just as relevant today. How many people have we laid to rest? We've stood around graves, we've been in churches, we've been in funeral parlours where these verses have been read and they give us comfort, they give us hope because they assure us based on Christ's own words that it is 100% going to happen. He has Mm. gone to prepare a
3: place for us and he will come back and take us to be with him. Amen. Amen. Beautiful promise. Now, four times in the Book of Revelation, Jesus stated, "I am coming soon." Sometimes it's translated as "quickly." Yes, uh, the expectation of His soon coming drove the mission of the Apostolic Church and filled the lives of countless Christians throughout the genera- uh, centuries with hope. But generation after generation has died, and this promised event has not yet occurred, and thus many are inquiring, "How much longer?" Well, we have to preach that Jesus is coming soon. But Nick, how do you understand the concept of soon, and and can you explain the apparent delay?
0: Yeah, that's a very interesting question, uh, Jerry. And uh, yeah, I, I would like to just bring your attention to a passage in uh, Second Peter, chapter three, uh, because it says here, uh, verse three, for example, it says knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts. And verse 4 saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Of course, there are many people who will um, challenge those faithful asking them where is that promise that jesus is coming soon it's almost two thousand years since jesus promised all those things where is that promise of coming soon and i think uh, this is a question which we really need to answer through our own experience and faith in jesus christ you know if I could go even a bit further in this chapter in verse 10, yeah, verse 10 it says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. You see, that verse which says that Jesus comes as a thief, how soon is that? How urgent is that if you think of this, that tonight maybe a thief will rob your house? How soon is that? You know, we cannot measure these promises in time. We have to measure it in our relationship with Jesus and our belief in Jesus. Mm. Denise?
1: Um, I think we've got to look at verse 9 as well, because um, it talks about why the Lord is not coming quickly. It says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some Mm. understand slowness, slowness, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I think that's a really important point that he's just waiting for people to hear the hear the gospel to hear about Jesus and to make their decision. Also in
2: 1st Timothy uh, chapter 2 verse 4 it yeah. said exactly the same the Savior wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So yeah, yeah Jesus wants uh, this his desire is that everyone should be saved. Amen. Can be saved.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Len, you wanted to comment? When I was 17,
5: I expected Jesus to come before I was 21. When I was 21, I expected Jesus to come before I would get married. Well, I've seen 21 a few times over, but for me, his coming is just as urgent, just as soon as it was back then. So Nick was talking about time. Time is relative. And I think the best way to consider this is in the sense of, in the terms of my life, his coming will be soon.
3: Yeah, good point, uh, Len. I, I like to uh, to use this example, and it might be helpful for some people, I don't know, but uh, I, I look at my life as a series of days. Every day, by God's grace, you wake up, you go through your day. It's like the sun rising. The sun sets, go to sleep. You don't know if you're going to wake up in the morning. So today is the only day you have. And some people don't wake up in the morning. And therefore, what's what next? They go to sleep. And as we've uh, looked at in previous studies, the Lord wakes us up and it's as though you you know you've just gone to sleep next thing you know you're awake so it's soon it's always soon yes will you had something
6: verse 15 from that uh, chapter that we've just read from second peter 3 verse 15 says and remember that our lord's patience gives people time to be saved Mm. you know the longer the delay alas gladly the more opportunities for our families and us to have made right with God. I want to consider that if Jesus came just 90 years ago, we would all have missed out on the opportunity to welcome him on the clouds and, and accompany him to endure heaven. We would not even have been alive. His delay has now included us. And that's why I believe that statement, Remember the Lord's Patience, gives people time to be saved, or as the New Testament, as the King James Version says, gives them the
0: opportunity.
6: Mm.
0: And Will, uh, that's uh, wonderful to say that uh, the delay, it could be in our favor. At the same time, I like to bring that passage in the Bible, I mean, in, uh, in Psalms or even in Hebrew, saying that today, if you hear the voice of the Lord, Harden not your heart, because that's the only time which is available for us today. Tomorrow may never come. Mm.
3: Now, Will, in John chapter 6 from verse 39, Jesus explains what the will of the Father is to his disciples. And four times in verse 39 and 40, 44 and 54, he repeats a certain phrase. Now, it must be really important for Jesus to have repeated it four times. Can you read these verses from chapter 6 of John and comment, please, and also explain to the listeners how this doesn't contradict what we read in verse 47 as to the timing of this event where Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has eternal life.
6: The repeated phrase is, uh, I will raise him up at the last day. Jesus repeats that four times. Uh, in John 6, and uh, in verse 39, 44 and 54. But then uh, in 47, verse 47, Jesus makes another promise to believers, but states, in the present tense, as you have mentioned, Jerry, mostly, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has eternal life. I think to summarise, it probably is good to state that it's an encouragement for us all that uh, while our resurrections or physical transformations to live forever are at the coming of Jesus' future, we have the assurance of the promise of life in eternity today.
3: Yes, that's, that's a wonderful assurance. And thank you, uh, Will, for that. Now, panel... What was fervently hoped for by the believers in Thessalonica didn't happen. How discouraged they must have been! They had the promise of the resurrection; they thought it would happen in their lifetime. Then, can you elaborate and and take us through Paul's clarification uh, that we read in First Thessalonians chapter four, verses thirteen to eighteen? Would anybody like to uh, read that passage? First Thessalonians chapter four, verses thirteen to eighteen.
2: Okay. In the first Thessalonians chapter four, verse 13 down, it says, brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, and are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. He is talking about that those who sleep in Jesus will be resurrected, uh, and the resurrection to eternal life will apply to those who in verse four, who believe that Jesus died and rose again.
3: All right. So there's a lot in this uh, in this verse, or in these verses, I should say, from First Thessalonians chapter four, verses thirteen to eighteen. First of all, we see that um, the term "who have fallen asleep in Jesus" mentioned three times. Three times, um, and if they're asleep, then you could argue they have to be woken up. So they have to be woken up isn't that the purpose of jesus coming back to wake them from their sleep so that they could be with him yes um it's very clear if you go through those verses and especially verse 17 then where it says then we who are alive and remain should be caught up shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the lord in the air and thus we shall always be with the lord what a beautiful picture would anybody else like to add a comment there
0: yeah i just want to i wanted to say here that um those people in Thessalonica, if they were discouraged by seeing that their time is up <laughs> on this earth um that beautiful um, passage here it's mm-hmm. that the those ones who are asleep who passed away. They are even more privileged because they will be the first resurrected and then we will be caught uh, with Jesus in the air. We, Apostle Paul is kind of encouraging them. There's nothing to be discouraged about uh, going to rest, going to sleep.
3: Correct.
4: Yes, Brendan. Jerry, I think we spend a lot of time on verses 14 to 18 whenever we read this and we tend to yes. skip number 13 and not give it the due weight that I believe it's due. It okay. says, we are not to sorrow as those who have no hope. Now that doesn't mean that a Christian doesn't sorrow. Mm. We've all lost loved ones. Every one of us on the panel today have lost mm. loved ones. Yes. Some of, us, uh, some of us have lost loved ones very close to us. It doesn't mean to say we're not to sorrow. It says we are not to sorrow as those who have no hope. And if I allude yeah. back to what I said earlier on, I remember as a minister taking a funeral for somebody who was not a Christian. It almost leaves you without wondering what are you going to say? What words of hope, what words of encouragement can you give to these people?
3: Yeah.
4: Um, you can give them the biblical hope. That's That's all you can
3: give them. Because and even, even, yeah, that's
4: true. But if they don't believe in it, they've got to come to the point where they do yeah.
3: believe in it. I've had that um, in my family as well. Actually, uh, people who have become very ill and knew that they were going to die and had no yes. faith, yeah. no, no faith, and and what a difference it makes then in how you how you express these final years sometimes of your life if you have to approach your death with no hope, as compared to somebody. Who's in exactly the same situation with exactly the same terminal illness who does have the hope. What a difference that makes. And, um, yeah, I mean, I remember one gentleman in particular who he was not afraid of death at all. He knew he was, his time was up. He'd been struggling with cancer for a long time and, uh, it wasn't a pleasant experience, but he had this. He was absolutely convinced that, um, he would see Jesus coming on the clouds of heaven. That he would be raised to eternal life. And what a, what a, what a wonderful, and that's why it's called the blessed hope.
4: Yes.
3: Okay. Now let's move on. Um, at Brenton, Paul introduces a very well known passage of scripture relating to the New Testament hope with the words, behold, I tell you a mystery. And it's found in first Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 to 55. Could you please read and, and comment on this beautiful passage? And also include um, verse 50, please. Sure. Now that I say to you, brethren, that flesh
4: and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruption has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Then there's this grand statement, O death, where is your sting? O Hades or grave, where is your victory? In commenting on it, Paul is really saying that the body that we now possess is not able to inherit the kingdom of God, period. Mm -hmm. We have to have a new body, and the body is described earlier in the chapter, Jerry, as going from a mortal body to an immortal body, from a corruptible body to an incorruptible body, from a natural body to a spiritual body. And that doesn't mean we're going to be floating around going, ooh. It simply means because the body that we will have is the same body Jesus had when he rose from the dead. And he said to the disciples, touch me and see. I've got flesh and blood and bones. That's the body we will have. But it won't be a body, thankfully, that is subject to death any longer.
3: Amen. Yeah, looking forward to that, uh, Brenton. I'm
4: looking forward to it,
3: yes. Yeah, yeah. Then some Christians interpret this uh, this mystery as the secret rapture of the church. Can you comment on that, please?
5: Mm. That secret rapture is based on Matthew chapter 24 and verses 40, no, verse 40 and 41. It says two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. If we go by what it means, the rest of Scripture, when it says taken, it doesn't mean, say, taken to heaven. It actually means taken in death. Mm -hmm. However, if we read a little bit further, a little wider, Matthew 24, verses 36 through to 42, it starts out by saying, no one knows about that day or the hour, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And then it goes on, points out what conditions on earth will be like. And then in verse 42 of Matthew 24, it says, Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Now, this is actually given as a warning. And if the saints are already in heaven, why is a warning necessary? For the coming of Jesus It just doesn't fit The warning there is for people Who love the Lord That may have the possibility of losing their faith And it's a good advice For us Christians in these modern days Keep watch Because you don't know On what day the Lord will come it Absolutely. doesn't, it doesn't support a secret rapture, mm. but it does support the idea that we've been sharing with you for the last few weeks that when we die, we die completely. Mm. Body and mind and all.
3: Yes. Thank you, Lynn. Will, you had a comment
6: concerning the secret rapture. The dead we have read, and Brenton read the, the chapter, the dead are raised by a loud voice, calling out all over the world to raise the dead in every country around the globe. And there's a loud sound of a trumpet. That doesn't sound very secret and silent to me. Everyone will know together what, when that happens. No mystery, no quiet slipping away to paradise. I reckon the Bible is pure and and is
3: clear. Yes. Absolutely. Well, listeners, as we come to the close of our discussion on the blessed hope found in the New Testament and indeed throughout the whole Bible, let us rejoice in the assurance of the resurrection and the certainty that just as Jesus was raised from the dead, so God will in the same way, in like manner, or as Paul says, even so, call the sleeping saints from their graves and then take them with him to heaven as author ellen g white writes in her book the acts of the apostles precious consolation glorious hope not only to the church of thessalonica but to all christians wherever they may be i'd like to thank the panel and you thank you listeners for spending some of your time with us it's been a blessing For us to open God's word and study it together. And we trust that you too may have received the blessing as you contemplate the beautiful biblical teaching of the resurrection when Jesus returns to take us to our eternal home. Will, could you uh, close our discussion with a word of prayer, please?
6: Sure. Dear Lord, we confess with fear that without the resurrection of Jesus, and his second coming, we are dead, and dead in our sins. No life, no reward of eternity, only what might have been. We pray that you will accept us today, in the hope of our Saviour's return, and may we share this hope with all around us, that all may heed to call the call to abundant life, and life in eternity, in Jesus' precious name.
0: Amen. 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 Well, thank you everyone for uh, your participation today. This, uh, I believe, will uh, continue to raise some questions, but we are talking about um, the wonderful uh, Blessed Hope, uh, the New Testament Blessed Hope. My dear friend listening today, uh, I hope that you will find this Blessed Hope, and uh, you'll walk into the footsteps of Jesus. Now, if you like to send us a question, you may have a a question in regard to this topic, you could do that by uh, following our uh, number, which we provide, or even the email, and we'll be happy to address that question in the next program. Also, if you like the book which... um, Jerry just quoted from the Acts of the Apostles that's a wonderful book actually please send us a request a text message or an email uh, with that book and we'll be happy to provide for uh, you our dear uh, listener may God bless you and have a wonderful walk in the footsteps of Jesus